The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Hot tag the hell Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Hot Tag, which is presented by the Run and presented by the House Show, presented by the Retro Network. And I have uh, it's already here. We're going international with this episode and multiple guests. On today's show, we have the co-writers of the new comic, sure to be a hit comic, Damned Cursed Children. We have Howard Wong and Josh Stafford. Gentlemen, welcome to the hot tag on the Retro Network. Thank, Thank you. you for having us, Kevin. So you guys um, actually ap- apparently were already familiar with the Retro Network and fans of the show or content or something. From the, I'm not sure if it was the podcast, the articles, or a little bit of both. Yeah, I listened to, I don't know how I stumbled on it. I think just the magic of Twitter, somebody saying nice things about it. But I've listened to the Wizards podcast for quite some time now since it started a little while ago and then that spun me off of listening to a couple other ones whenever they would have a guest host on or whatever but yeah i really like the wizards thing i mean i'm i'm that exact right age of wizard magazine and young blood selling really well and all that it's all my fault like i was 13 years old (laughs) and i bought you know all five covers of x-men number one and so so yeah the wizards retro thing is right in my wheelhouse so i as Howard and I were sending out publicity, I thought, well, our book isn't specifically retro, but there's definitely retro elements to it. And so I thought, oh, give it a shot and see if might chat with these folks about it, too. So, And, and believe me, as someone that I've been on Wizards, I talked with them in, in DMs and all, all the time. I really think that they're doing a service to the comic community. I think the stuff that they're unearthing and the interviews they're doing and the stuff they're digging up is things that would be forgotten knowledge. Oh, for sure. It, it, it was already yeah. forgotten, and they're just finding so much cool stuff out that is giving uh, importance to things in comics that are seen as disposable, which drives me nuts. But you still have, you know, I'm assuming ages here for both, yeah. for, all, you know, for all of us, but we have a previous generation, even some of our peers, that see comics as disposable yes. and don't give any respect to it. Yeah, so even, I told them. Yeah, and that's the the good stuff that we all know about. They treat that way. So something like Wizard, which has been dormant forever, is getting no respect and being thrown in the trash. So I, I really appreciate all of their work on there. Now, you you already I was it's on my list of questions, but you already brought it up. So are we? Can can I assume that we're all on that like cusp of we're not quite sure what generation we're in depending on who's given the years for what's generation x and what is <laughs> that's funny you say that i am constantly confused of what i am because i hear conflicting reports from smart people that i'm this or that or they'll say like 1976 is this or 1978 is that and i'm like so like from from you know trusted news sources i have heard conflicting reports of what i am but yeah so yes that is correct <laughs> <laughs> that's it. You just gave a non-answer, Jack. Uh, well, that's a good question. Well, I just say I have kids, and I've been around a while. I have a collection of, and it sounds horrible when I say this out loud, very like pretty close to mint condition Wizard magazines in my basement somewhere. No joke. Creepy. Um, and a collection of other old stuff that. Do you have uh, them still bagged I, with the cards and stuff? 
No, but I still have the cards and the pogs. Oh, I'm, I'm just oh, going backwards pogs. in time, aren't I? Yep, Ooh. and I have the I have some image pogs too, believe it or not. Some popped out though, unfortunately, because you go and you move and you shift it out, and I was like an idiot. I'm like, oh my god, it popped out of the, you know, it comes in a card and it, you pop it through the hole. Uh, it, you got to understand, like, if you kept it in the in the, in, you know, in the in the in the hole, basically it's serrated, so you pop it out and stuff. So if you kept it like that and go to eBay, yay! But mine's popped out, so I'm like, well, I'm just gonna keep this forever because I popped them out by accident. So you know, stuff like that, right? I mean, how old am I? What generation am I? Well, here, this is a good intercation. If you can't, if people can't see this in the podcast. I have a metal diecast, and people don't want that. That is, it makes me cry. Uh, X-wing fighter, which was a really old one because uh, Luke here is a piece of plastic orange. Oh, <laughs> it's so metal diecaster. So that's one of my old stuff that I have. So yeah, I've been around for a while. Uh, definitely not millennial. I can tell you that. Uh, <laughs> if, and I'm old enough to know about, yes, the heyday of the 90s and the spec like you know, the spec market of stuff like that. I was one of those people. I bought them. I did that. All those hollow covers to the chrome covers to what's my favorite? The 3D covers were the worst, I think, because it's like, do you pop it out and make it 3D? But then it loses the value, but that you don't know how cool it looks like. And then you hope that it's one store that's going to be crazy enough to pop it out so you can check it out and look at it. No one does it because of that. I probably have uh, a, a number of uh, Death of Superman in the bag uh, somewhere, too, because it's so valuable. Um, <laughs> See, you talk uh, about the 3D covers. I was conflicted with the Superman uh, I think it was like maybe number 30 Superman and Lobo color forms cover. Oh my God. Oh my God. I forgot about that. Oh my, Oh geez. Those were so cool. It, I had to open it. I wanted to play with it. Oh my God. Think about just think about that concept of those two characters together just for a moment. And if no one knows about the story and anything, it doesn't matter. Just think of those two characters together in a story. It just blows your mind. Like if you were that right age, it's like, what the heck, you know, how is this going to play out? That's the whole point. They get you right from there. It's like these two characters are in the story. Done. Uh, but you know, obviously, it's a gimmick and all that junk and whatnot. That's you know, that's what we we would grow up thinking. But to be frank, all those gimmicky covers, uh, all the marketing things that they did back in the '90s, and some still do now, believe it or not, um, it got us into these books that we probably would never have bought. Uh, to be honest. Um, and it's weird because I have a copy of a couple of copies of uh, shit. is it Spawn Spawn versus Batman or is it Batman and Spawn? Uh, I think it was Spawn Batman. For, yeah, first, I think all right? the covers say Spawn Batman Spawn first. Yeah. So I have a bunch of those, and the thing is, um, I like to get people into comic books, and some of them uh, know about Batman, obviously, and some of them started learning about Spawn. And it's like, these are great characters. I like dark characters. And as a joke, I'm like, have you read the one with both of them in it? It's like, what? Here, you can keep this copy of mine. <laughs> I don't need it. You can have it. And it just, it, it's, it's because we are used to it because we were there at the moment. These are like younger people who, who did not see this come out and then get that you know, marketing explosion, exposure of it. And they get this handed to them and they read it and they come back to you with their perspective and it's completely different from what we had it was it's weird like they went into a rabbit hole unfortunately because of me and went into the internet and digging up all this information that some of it i knew a lot of it i didn't and it was just sort of like i got you hooked on spawn now and spawn's been going on forever 
and of course, you know, the question is, can I get your Spawn comics? Like, no. Uh, <laughs> no, there's trade paperbacks you can go to the comic book shop and buy because these are my original Spawns when I bought them and bought some of them maybe at over cover price, unfortunately. So not yet. But it's, it's interesting because you introduce people to things that are past their time. And yet to them, it's always fresh. So the gimmicky covers actually attract the younger readers. It sounds weird. It sounds awful because we grew up going, oh, these are great. And you get older, oh, this is what they were doing this because of X. But the younger generation who, are, who grew up on the internet, uh, you know, YouTube, Netflix, what have you, in, you know, they're used to that kind of media, that media relationship versus what we grew up with, you know, Saturday, Saturday morning cartoons. We grew up with that. And commercials. Oh my God, commercials. Like, if you've asked my kids, like, do you know what commercials are? Like, are those things that pop up in YouTube? Like, not really, because we can't skip them. <laughs> there was no. no skip. That was our pee break. That's when we ran to the bathroom and went to the bathroom and came back as fast as we can before the show kept continuing, because we couldn't record it back then until we got the VCR. And like, what the hell is the VCR? I'm not talking to you anymore. So, <laughs> so these covers that are flashy actually attracted younger readers um, that I exposed comic books to for the first time, to be honest. So it was very weird for me to see that reaction. Because, you know, for our generation, we see them grounded in the 90s, grounded in the speculation market, grounded in, you know, people were like buying them at cover price and selling them at 15 bucks, you know, the day after or the day of, right? Um, you know, everything from, you know, profit that was done by uh, Stephen Platt. Stephen Platt and, yeah. Yeah, you know, and so forth and so forth, right? And yeah, I have those in my basement too. <laughs> so. But the thing is, all those gimmicky covers attract those younger readers, and they bring them into comic books. And guess what? We need them. We need those eyeballs. We need that uh, that fan base to be younger, to grow up with comics. And if you look at comics right now, the current line of comic books, it's not really meant for attracting new readers. It really isn't. Um, there are materials out there. I have two kids who are into comic books because I'm a comic book nerd and unfortunately dig into my stuff without asking. I wish they didn't, <laughs> but, but it's great that they do. But it was because of those gimmicky covers that I got some of their friends when everything was normal and pre COVID, I got some of their friends into comic books because of that. And we, and then they learned about the comic book shop. And then the parents called me up and asked me what was going on. <laughs> Why did they want to go to the comic book shop? Which is totally fine. But it, that's what happened. And I didn't, out, you know, out knowing, like, this is my plan. I'm going to make them into comic book readers. No. But, you know, as much as we hate the speculation market and the, all the gimmick covers that came out because of that, it just turned around to becoming something that was a useful thing to get new readers in for me, at least for my, for my experience. I'm not sure if the comic book shops, when things get back to normal, can do the same thing, use those books that they have that are in our basements to, <laughs> to grab new readers, because obviously for my price point, it'd be very attractive to a young reader. Right. So, I don't know. That's my two cents on, on the speculation market, uh, outcome of those hollow covers and, uh, my God, it was so many, like the fold out covers, the gatefold cover. Oh my God, it can go on and on. The prism covers. God, it's like all these flashbacks now. Uh, <laughs> so well, there's, yeah, the, there's nothing, no one's going to go poor with getting something that looks cool in front of children. It's why Rob Liefeld still makes money. It's why kiss still makes money. <laughs> it looks cool. 
So you're going to be into it. So, I mean, you're telling me how you're getting the next generation into comics, but how did both of you get into comics? I know for me, um, I first got into comics when I was nine years old in 1987. I bought a Spider-Man comic for a family trip, and it was the only thing I had to read for the entire trip. So I read it over and over again. I read Stan's Soapbox. I read the letters page. I read all the ads. So next time I went to, it was Walden Books at the time, uh, chained in the U.S. I don't know if you guys had it in Canada at all. It's gone now. Um, but it was like little mall stores. I went to Spinarak. Oh, there's an ad I saw in that Spider-Man comic. Now that comic's out. Let me grab that too. And I started building up and building up until discovering comic book stores and, and the whole world of it. Never looked back. But how did you both get started in comics as as kids, I assume, but maybe it was later in life? No, I started at, uh, yeah, I started at a young age. I was four years old and very kind of, uh, you know, nice father-son moment. My dad just brought home a random issue of Fantastic Four. So that was my first comic book. I was four years old and I just never stopped and I never will stop. It's just like. I don't even like collect per se. I just read, you know, it's like I'm never going to stop going to movies or watching TV or reading books or listening to music and comics. Just the same as that. So as a kid, I just I I read, you know, Spider-Man and X-Men like anybody. But I kind of was into slightly more weird stuff. I I really loved uh, Atari Force and Captain Carrot and Dazzler, just just stuff a little bit off the beaten path. And I'm the perfect right age that I got into Mirage Comics just before the cartoon happened so i got to be like a little kid snob and be like these aren't ninja turtles ninja turtles are in black and white and all have red headbands <laughs> and yeah and so like you know growing up being a kid in the late 80s and then in the 90s like comic books boomed you know i got to be a little kid when i read watchmen in dark knight when i was way too young to read those books and then all the 90s stuff happened and grant morrison and neil gaiman so yeah so i i was it was a, it was a good era for me to become a, a comic nerd and and yes and I'm 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 a lifer I'm in I'm in this for the long haul. Well, for me, let me think about that. Um, I knew that comic books existed when I was growing up. Uh, never bought one or never was never gifted one. Uh, I had friends who read them because they had older siblings, so I was kind of a exposed secondhand, <laughs> I guess, in that sense, to comic books. But my first comic book that I, I was able to buy was sort of a, a nefarious thing I did. Uh, <laughs> my mom's going to hate me if she finds out. It's Scholastic used to send these uh, order forms to schools. Uh, yep. and I think it was in grade three or four. And one of them was a, um, a Tarzan comic. Uh, it was one of those uh, special edition ones that was written by... Oh, crap. I just actually looked it up uh, like not long ago. Let me see if I can find it as I talked. Um, and it was there. I was like, it's a comic book. But it's Scholastic. And my mom would technically buy this for me because <laughs> it's in Scholastic. So no loss there. So I ordered that. Um, oh, my God. I can't remember who wrote, who did that. Were they Edgar... reprints of the, of the newspaper stuff? No, no, it wasn't. It was def- it was full blown. Um, oh, cool. So maybe Gold Key. No, no, it was de- it was de- it was definitely Marvel. Uh, oh wow. Yeah, it was a it, it was a magazine format. It was it was big. It was oversized. Uh, oh shoot, I can't wish I can find it. It might be on my laptop. I'll I'll look at it as we talk. So 
I ordered that, I got that, read the hell out of that thing till the covers fell off, unfortunately, and I glued it back on, which was probably not the greatest <laughs> idea when I was a kid, and taped it, <clears throat> maybe stapled it. Ugh. But the funny thing was, my mom was upset as heck. My dad wasn't as upset as me, and then he would tell me stories of him reading, reading comic books in Hong Kong and how they did that, which was... Um, Basically, you pay a fee and you it's like a rental fee and you read as much as you can within an hour or half an hour. And they had these little tiny wooden stools where you sit there and the comic books were all like these tiny booklets, which were all linked. And basically, it's it's sort of like uh, Space Girl from, you know, everyone what guys know what Space Girl is, right? Uh, the web comic that became printed. It was like a long form math. Basically landscape wise. Uh, so it was weird when he explained it to me. He was like telling me about that. And I'm like, uh, OK. What do you think of this? I handed the Tarzan count because Tarzan was very universal. My dad was he started reading it. It's like, this is good. You should get more. I'm like, I would like to, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think mom's gonna be cool about me doing that from Scholastic again. It's like, yeah, well, you know, you figure it out. So fast forward to the age, the wonderful age. If you guys, if anyone here watched Stranger Things, um, I was one of those kids who rode their bike to the corner store, and the bike was like a Cadillac for me. Um, though I didn't know what the Kellogg's were back then. So I would ride to the corner store instead of buying candy straight up and, then, you know, getting a sugar high, you know, right in front of the store with my friends. We would try to see how long we could read comic books at the spinner rack without getting caught and thrown out. Uh, no joke. I was a guy who would last the longest because I was a really skinny, short little guy back then. So I was never ever found <laughs> out until until somehow he wanted to restock the chips near the, the spinner rack. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm going to buy this and grab the lowest chip bag that was there. Um, so I would read comic books like that. And I end up buying one that really attracted my eyes. So this is the first comic book, official comic book comic book i bought with my own money uh, allowance money which was an uh captain america comic book i can't remember what issue it was i don't think i have it anymore which it makes me kind of sad but the on the cover was the uh redesign of blue streaks outfit so he was on these rocket powered roller skates uh, <laughs> uh all in blue and uh, uh an oxygen mask and the reason why i bought it wasn't because of that but because i when i was flipping through it there's somebody who was who got shot and I was like, that person looks like that didn't make it. And it blew my mind. As a kid, I was sort of like, wow, what the heck? This isn't a comic book. What? Because you're not allowed to watch that kind of violent stuff on TV as a kid. So I was like, okay, I got to have this. So I bought it. And I was kind of, I, I remember being so worried that the shop owner would not sell it to me because of that one scene. But, <laughs> you know, he's like, he's like, here, take it. Oh, yeah. And I ran out. I, I remember running out to my friends. like, gotta check this out. And I flipped, and I, I know like, I flipped right to the page. Like, look at this. And we all sat there looking. That guy. And then we, you know, and we, without knowing that we were nerding it out there, but we were nerding it out and getting high on the, you know, on our freezies and whatnot, debating if this character is alive or not, you know, from that one panel <laughs> that we see them being shot. So that was my rabbit hole, speak digging right there. Because after that, I wanted more, and I would get some from cousins and friends and stuff like that. They, usually they give me stuff they don't want and I would take anything because it was just sort of like, you know, I had nothing at home. So anything you give me is going to be in my comic book stash. Um, but my real, sorry, my real point of collection was uh, when image came out, no joke. It was funny. Uh, I was caught uh, by the production value of it. 
and I had some friends who did collect comic books because of their parents. And there were, I was in high school at that time, so I was making money myself. And there was a really, I remember it was it was during lunchtime. They pulled out their comic books and they started reading it. And they were reading like Wildcats, and then I was like, oh, that's really cool. Is that X? No, it's Wildcats. It's a new thing. And I was so it's like, can I read it? It's like, no. You can look over. You can read over my shoulder. I'm like, fine. <laughs> and I did. But then. Why I started collecting it was because of Spawn. Because when I looked at Spawn, I'm like, that's a weird, is that, that's not, is he a hero? Because it looks like, when I was reading it, I'm like, that looks kind of dark and not your hero kind of thing. And that started my collection of kinds. I started buying Spawn and then Wildcats and Wetworks. And what drove it home was when I got the Max. That blew my mind. Like when I got the Max, I saw the potential of comic books. From that point on, beyond superhero books, and I did the geeky question of asking the shop owners, so what other books do you have that's like this? And with a grin, they would just give you like a stack of things. They're just pulling things off the shelves. here. here. Like, no, no, hey, I'm a high school <laughs> student, so no, I can't afford all this. But if you can, you know, keep it for me until I can pay, you know, for each one every so often. So I, I started getting into Team NT, the original series from Mirage, because of that and, you know, other things back then because of that so a lot of things that people knew about way before i did because they read it when it came out i was backtracking because my mind was open to comic books going beyond spandex i know it sounds weird but it goes so much further than spandex and i was like i wanted more and i kept getting more it was a perfect time in the 90s because you had sandman come so it was like all this crazy stuff uh there was like a reprint of like uh moon shadow i mean that was that I remember getting caught in English, a creative writing class in high school with it. And my, the teacher was so mad that I was reading a comic book. But I, I saved my ass because I pointed out that if you look here, there's a there's passages of William Blake. So technically not completely comic booky. And so she started reading it. She's like, OK, you, you're allowed to read this comic book in the class <laughs> because of that one passage that I pointed out because I was literally reading it. I'm like, this is William Blake. And it was just, you know, weird to. It's well, kind of weird, like, you know, especially in school and in, in, in North America in general, that comic books were sort of like this taboo of reading it, you know, outside your room, outside your house, people seeing you reading it, you know, in public. So. When I started doing that at school with my friends, I sort of felt the difference when people saw me. But it's sort of like I'm same, the same guy that you met pre me, you know, collecting comics. I'm the same person, but now I'm opening up to more stories and me and a different medium of telling stories and stuff like that. So it was interesting uh, journey for me. And right now I've been collecting for a long time. I mean, I'm not going to show you guys, but I have like two long boxes in my living room here because my basement and I do have a basement. Uh, it's kind of full, so you can sort of you can sort of get an idea of how how backtracked I went with my collection and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean that's a I, I, and it sounds weird a, a short version of it. There's actually a lot of twists and turns of how I started getting to other things too in comics. Well, you make a good point though about getting a look. Oh, you you know you're reading comics and and the perception of it in North America. Because I'll tell you, in the States, it's the same for it. But if we want to talk about something that gets a dirty look when people find out you're into it, and it ties in with the comic, well, your new comic, Damn Curse Children, boy, you, people still get a dirty look when you say you're into horror as well. And I, I 
came around to horror finally in my 30s. When I was younger, I didn't really have anyone that was like a gateway for it in their introduction. And I think there's certain things that you need to be in on the joke to really enjoy it and understand it. I'll say horror is one. I think heavy metal is one. I think pro wrestling is one. Once you get it and you're in on it, then you love it. So something suddenly clicked in my 30s. I think it was the more I read and the more I got into like the craft of writing and putting together comics, putting together movies and shows. It clicked with me of the storytelling medium of horror and then i loved it and it opened up a whole new world for me but how did you both get into horror and then we have these things coming together in your comic like the chocolate and peanut butter for reese's (laughs) wow horror uh for me it was movies oh man it's this is this is this is gonna be sort of like bad parenting good parenting uh my dad he, where he worked, he worked near a rental place, an independent uh, Asian rental place. So they were renting VHSs. And during that time, the big thing was like LaserDisc. These, imagine a CD, but like a thousand times bigger. <laughs> so we used to rent that stuff too. So my dad was into that stuff. But he wouldn't like look into what he was renting. He would be the guy who'd walk in. It's like, I want something exciting to watch with my, you know, my, my, my family tonight. So the guy would you know, grab a couple of stuff and give it to him. And we watched everything from the John Woo films, which you shouldn't watch when you're young kids, when you're, you know, <laughs> tweens, <laughs> when you're in your tweens or younger, possibly younger. Uh, and then he would rent like Asian horror films. Um, and they were pretty like they're not like they're some of them are com- some of them are weird. Some of them were like these weird, scary comedies. So it's like a very scary emotional scene. And the next one is like totally like slapstick. So it's a really bizarre thing to you know, straight up, you know, scare your pants off kind of horror stuff. Um, so that was my first exposure as a young kid, but as I got older, um, when your parents, uh, go work in the summer and you're at summer holiday, you go to your friend's house and then you obviously will go to the video store and rent things. So I was renting, we, well, I was I, but we were renting things like Evil Dead and so forth and so forth and things that you shouldn't watch. We would binge watch it. We was not where it doesn't, it didn't exist back then, but we would binge watch it over the summer. So it was really weird. We would watch horror films during the day because we had to watch it before our parents came home on the v, on the VCR and stuff like that. But it was this weird, like, because you watched it not alone, um, because we couldn't watch it in a theater, of course, we were too young. We were able to talk to each other about asking questions, like, after the film or sometimes during the films, like, was that supposed to be funny? Because I think it's funny, but it's kind of weird to think that that's supposed to be funny. Because, uh, you know, first, we, when we went to Evil Dead 2, we thought that was supposed to be funny. I mean, we didn't think it was supposed to be funny. We thought it was supposed to be scary and creepy and all that. But after a while, like, this is kind of weird and funny. And you can kind of just like, am I, am I like the only person who's weird who thinks that? And you start asking your other friends that. And they agree. Like, okay, so this is supposed to be funny and scary. So this is like a, like a dark comedy thing, which obviously we didn't know what those words were back then. And then we watched it. And then we realized that we like that kind of horror and this, there's like different kind of horrors. Like you realize there was different kind of genres of horror, like subgenres, and we wanted more. So we, that's how, that's how I got into horror. As for the comic books, I actually never got into collecting uh, horror comic books, but because I had some friends and it sounds weird. It's like this weird association. I have some friends who were like in heavy metal in high school and there were obviously the oddball people out in my high school during that time. Um, but I hung out with them because, you know, 
I talked about comic books because we were, you know, we were sharing about, you know, our, our love for comic books. Um, and they were talking, they were talking about heavy metal bands, and then they were reading horror comic books, which I've never been exposed to. So I was sort of getting secondhand knowledge about it, not really deeply, because it wasn't my thing back then, especially in high school. But I knew that they were existed. I liked the films better because it had that affinity when I was a kid, trying to watch as many as we can and return them quickly and try to, you know getting more before the parents came home kind of thing. So I have that affinity to, uh, you know, two movies that, you know, that are classics now, unfortunately, uh, I guess, <laughs> age-wise, uh, that when you watch it now, some of them don't hold up very well and some of them kind of hold up well because of memories and you watch them um, kind of thing. And it's, it's interesting, uh, that weirdness of once you get, on, in on a joke, and you're right. You get, once you understand horror, you get why it's great. Um, it's like like a lot of people who don't understand Elvira. When you're trying to explain Elvira, it sounds really awful. Um, it does. I I, I know that because I tried many times to explain it to people who's like, why do you like Elvira stuff and all this other stuff? You know, and this dark stuff that you read that you've been saying. You know, because people are like, what kind of dark stuff do you have in comic books? I'm like, well, here you go. Uh, and, you know, when you talk about Elvira, you're like, I don't get it. I'm like, yeah, you have to kind of get that. Do you understand M's family? It's like, no. Yeah. About the Munksters. Yeah. No. Okay. You're not going to get this. You're, it's going to just, you're not going to connect with it yet. So don't worry about it. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's like a lot of genres for people who don't understand. If you ask people, some people will never ever watch a foreign film because they don't want to read a movie in quotations. And I get that because, you know, it's, it's you don't have to, it's, it's, no one has going to force you to watch and, and enjoy and learn about this entertainment. There's no such thing. It's just like you try, especially when friends ask for it and you want to get exposed, get exposed to it and find, see if they can connect to it. Right. So um, for me, it was that me growing up watching thing, things that I shouldn't be watching at my during that during those ages and then continuing that love for it now. I mean. One of the films that I recommended to some friends recently, actually, was a Hong Kong low-budget horror film called Rigor Mortis, which is actually an awful title, to be honest with you, because the Chinese title. I know it, well, it is what it is, right? Because I may, it could be because there was actually English titles of the state of that, which is because it's not a translation from the Chinese title. The Chinese title is a uh, you know, uh, Gerang which is basically Chinese vampire, which is obviously a really horrible translation of what a Chinese vampire is. We look if you look up Chinese vampire, you understand what I'm talking about. Because uh, they're not sort of like a zombie, but not a zombie. Get, look it up. It's a, it's, it's a thing, a great thing, fun thing to research. And they did this modern take on it. it takes place all in an apartment, in one apartment complex, but it's so deep. And they touch upon uh, so much of the Dao's culture, Dao's religion and the cultures and stuff, and all that you know, backstory stuff of. Uh, why we do this? Why we use these talents and so forth? It's, it's so crazy though. Like this is this is like, this is like a low budget thing, um, and I loved it because no. And then I remember watching it. It's like no one seen this movie theater but us five people, <laughs> but whatever. But it was so cool. And then once you start getting people in on it, you're like, ah, oh, I don't want to watch a movie like that. It's been done to death. I'm like, I know it has but this is a new take on it that i find very fresh which is crazy i was expecting something that eh, it's going to touch upon old stuff then some tropes that i love and i'll be entertained and i'll be okay with that and i was i went in expecting that but it was far beyond that so horror even uh when you think it's going to be old school and touching upon things that you may be familiar with 
can be twisted in a way where you're you you get you get taken back and you get surprised, which is amazing to me. Sorry, I'm taking Josh's time about his about <laughs> Josh's entry into horror and horror comics. Yeah, so I grew up we we grew up in the age of where I lived anyhow. It was before Blockbuster Video here in Canada before Rogers Video. It was that real age of independent corner stores with that little video store section and the clerk at that store did not care how old you were to get those movies (laughs) and i look back on it and just recently i kind of did the math and i was like holy cow like i was you know 10 or 12 years old getting these movies and it was i distinctly remember house being a big one where that was something i watched and my little brain was like oh i'm watching something i shouldn't be and I still really love that movie. And then it was weird stuff, you know, Critters and and kind of mainstream stuff like Aliens. But, you know, I was 12 watching this stuff. And it was that and uh, the kid in the neighborhood who had Fangoria magazines. And looking at those, like before the age of the Internet, before, you know, behind the scenes DVD commentaries and, and all that kind of stuff, that was a real interesting look at at just filmmaking in general but also these really taboo shots of gore and guts and so i i'm pretty sure i saw all this kind of spoiler filled stuff for nightmare on elm street or friday the 13th years before i saw the movies so it was that it was that strange era and i I always point at it as uh, all my friends turned it okay, so I think it's okay for kids to <laughs> play all these horrible video games and watch all these movies because because I'm 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 more or less fine now, you know. But so it was an interesting time because it was this real big horror boom for film and just the ease at which we could get it. And then by the time I was a bit older, it wasn't quite the same because if I was like 16 or 18, it was kind of easier to get those things. But yeah, I don't know if kids have the same thing now where a kid can just watch any horror film they want on a streaming service and if a parent hasn't locked it down and they're probably smarter with technology anyhow so they can figure out how to crack the code but but yeah so i was introduced to horror and comic books separately both at that young age and it it stuck with me up until adulthood and now it's you know part of uh my creative my creativity in making comic books and then i co-own a movie theater so it's it's still a big part of my life well, and I think we, because of streaming, because everything's available all the time, I feel like kids aren't going to discover stuff the way we did when you're at someone's house and you have like 10 channels at most to choose from. So you're going to have to watch something on one of those channels. And I'll say, I kind of feel like you guys being Canadian had a little bit more freedom in your TV choices. So I grew up in Watertown, New York. So I'm 30 minutes away from Canada, closer to Canada than a U.S. a major U.S. city. But we had CKWS and CJOH out of Canada because we were so close to the border. And then much music later on when it was still a cool channel. But the stuff on there wasn't like the network corporate things that America had at the time. Much music was a lot cooler than MTV. Just the variety of music and shows that were playing. There'd be random stuff late at night on the Canadian channels. I think most of them were out. Of, I think they're both out of Kingston at the time. 
But I was like, oh my god, what is this? What is this thing? The first time I saw Ed the Sock, I was like, what in God's <laughs> name is this? But I became obsessed instantly for it. And there's been, like, I know more geeky Canadians from blogging, podcasting, and all than I do American. It just seemed like there was more, I don't know, exposure to stuff that happened along the way for our generation. Like, here's this random weird movie at night. Here's this random music. Here's, you know, our magazine section's better at the store, so you're going to find more cool stuff. I don't know what it was, but it just seems like there's more opportunities out there. Well, I, I say that my, my first introduction to horror was this bizarre kid show called The Hilarious House of Frightenstein. And... There was, I don't think I'm exaggerating. I think there was like 200 episodes. For real? I've read a bit about it, and it's very interesting. They shot them in an insane small amount of time. Like in a a six-month period, they just shot like crazy. And because the way the show is put together with a bunch of little sketches, they could do, you know, seven days, 14 days with this group of people in these costumes. And their big claim to fame is, I think this was the late 70s that they did it, and they filmed it outside of Toronto. So not even, like, in Toronto. And they got Vincent Price to come for, it was something like three days. And in those three 10-hour days, he just shot endless amounts of tiny little bumpers where he would just do dumb little, like, uh, we'll be right back, or do a little Edgar Allan Poe poem. Or he would do the introduction, kind of like Thriller. He did the introduction. So in each show, in each 45-minute show, he might be in it for two minutes, but he was in every damn show. So <laughs> at a very young age, that was my introduction to Vincent Price. And then so years later, here in Ontario, we have TV Ontario, and they were so good at showing old movies. And so, yeah, between this bizarre kids show that that you might have picked up, Kevin, because I don't know, it, I, you're close enough to the Canadian border. But now uh, here in Canada, they have every single one on this streaming service called Crave. I'm so familiar I, with Crave. Yep. <laughs> so if you guys got that, you can watch this insane show. But yeah, so I, again, at a, at a strangely young age, that was my introduction to Vincent Price was this weird Saturday morning cartoon show or Saturday morning live action show. I totally forgot. it. I mean, I watched that. I totally forgot about it because... It's so off-keltered, and it doesn't make sense why it was being broadcasted for kids. <laughs> it didn't make sense whatsoever, but it was so cool. Oh, man, it was so weird. I Well, I'm getting flashbacks of that now. Wow. I just imagine but, them working poor Vincent Price for, like, three 18-hour days or something like that, and then them using it forever. Yeah, but, but, and then him being okay with it. But oh, for I, sure. But always, like, now I, I, I'm, now I'm just want to imagine if there's a, you know, what got cut. What are the blooper reels? Because I want to see the blooper reels with Vincent Price now. But uh, that was a great show. Oh, my God. And it, the funny thing, I didn't see it as horror, though. I just saw it as characters because I grew up watching The Addams Family. and like I actually watched them as a show. It wasn't in a category for it. Um, which sort of kind of explains how we grew up because... If we, you know, we always we compare us to the new generation, but you know that's you know that's what we do. We can also compare ourselves to the older generation. And the thing is, the material that we are exposed to, uh, if you want to call it geek stuff, it could be anything from music to comics to film, what have you, wasn't curated. 
if you go online now, everything is through algorithms and uh, uh, start, uh, learning machines that give you everything that they think you would want to watch and see and hear down to the ads, too. We didn't have that back then. We went to people's homes and whatever's littered on their ground or on their table, usually my friends would be on the ground. You, it's kind of gross. You pick up a magazine or a comic or an album off the ground and go, hey, can I look at this, listen to this? Can I boil this? Because you just so happened to see it and it caught your eye for whatever reason you wanted to know more. So that is something that we have completely lost today. Um, and it's going to sound weird when I say this. And this is one of the reasons why I love conventions. Because it brings us back to that aspect of life. There are no people, there's like no one really, you know, going, hey, you must go to only these tables and you might have to go to these panels and then you have to get out of here because it's that for, for you, the convention is over after you do these 10 things. It's not like the internet. You are free to roam everywhere. Your eyes are going to dance everywhere and whatever it gets caught on it will be attracted to it and you might find out more about it just by talking to the artist or writer that's there and then you go into getting a book that you would never have heard of never would have been exposed to if you have you not gone to a convention so we grew up with that aspect of life where we were exposed to things that we came across because of friends and family and going to uh, the corner store which was a lot more vibrant and had a lot more stuff besides, you know, food and cigarettes and alcohol and stuff like that. So that is one of the things that I feel um, differentiates us, uh, our exposure to the geek world, to the younger generation. Like, you know, as a parent, I'm exposing stuff to them, same with my wife, to our kids, from music to movies and so forth. Um, and it's weird because it's sort of like, you know, they look at us like, well, what did you, like, they always ask that, how did you find out about this? Like, when then you try to tell the story without sounding, trying to make yourself be in this weird spot where, well, I shouldn't have watched this when I was 10, but I did. And <laughs> here I am being your dad. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> so, you know, uh, so it's sort of that weirdness of, you know, you want them to know about it because they're the right age, but then you don't want to tell them how you found out about it because that was definitely not the right age and how you did it too, which is definitely not right. Um, because we had, you know, oh, this is kind of bad. I think Josh did the same thing. We had like things called video machines. That was a big thing that they, they, they plopped in front of corner stores and all you needed was a credit card and then you can rent any movie that was there. Yeah. I'm not saying some kids might, may or may not have access to their parents' credit card back in the day. If they did, they could rent a lot of things that probably shouldn't have watched repeatedly. So, you know, things like that, but. It's because of that, those adventures and those high-pressured, if you want to call it, high-pressured choices. Like, okay, I have this amount of time to watch two movies before my dad comes home. My friends are here too. Which one are we going to watch? We have to vote now and get it so we have time to watch it and not just you know complain about what what we're what we're not not what we're going to rent and what not we're going to rent today. So it was really weird and wonderful uh, being in that part of the timeline of of the world where the internet was not a thing. Uh, because our exposure was that it's whatever we were able to grab and we grabbed onto everything that we could get exposed to. So if you look at today, 
and it sounds weird today they have access to the internet and they can search for anything and everything like the Tarzan comic book I talked about I'm pretty sure if I spent like two seconds and it sounds kind of active I do right now two seconds to search for it I could find it uh, and that's wonderful but if you're not exposed to things on a natural exploratory way you're not driven to do that that's the honest truth if I ask you right now, hey, want to learn about quantum physics? You probably go look at me like, no, not really. But if I go, hey, there's a comic book, uh, I don't know, story competition where that's involved. Do you want to look into it? Now you're driven to do that, right? So there is, it's that one of those things where things connect for us growing up because we have all these things happening, music movies tv shows our cartoons our friends stories from them going to college being exposed to other things all happening all around us actively you know inputting information to us we're connecting all those dots every time we see something right uh <clears throat> sorry i just it just reminded me of josh's story when he met Cliff claremont when he wanted to punch him in the face for <laughs> i just don't know why he connected because of that that story of yours um it's, it's that weirdness of connecting things that people may or may not see. And we'll get back to the story, I guess, because I, I, I'm laughing at it now in my head, uh, that we don't do that today. If you ask kids today, it's like, hey, where did you, why, why do you enjoy X music? What do you enjoy X story or X movie? Um, they, there, are, there are levels of, re, the, the levels of their connection of reasons of why is very, very short. Even my kids are very, very short. And I find that, uh, kind of sad because if you ask us why did you buy I don't know whatever like this is an example why did you buy uh, uh, the Crow comic book before the movie came out meaning why did you buy that you have you can tell like a whole three hour story and it wouldn't cover half of why right and that's us though you ask a, you know a kid hey, why you're listening to this music it sounds cool that's great anything else there's more is there anything else and then they'll connect. Oh, because my friends listen to it. Okay, that's great. Anything else? No. Nah. That's and then it seems super, super, super superficial, and it is. And we lose we lose that connection to things. So, like you know, for me, I brought my kids to conventions since they were babies. You can ask Josh. I mean, they were in diapers. Um, <laughs> uh, from that point on, I brought them to conventions. And then now, obviously, the conventions are a little different because we're waiting for their things to become normal. But when conventions were still around, my kids still come with me, but they're old enough so they don't hang out with me at my table. They go out and go adventuring with, you know, other creator kids, you know, creators and their their kids, and they would come back with things that they bought or want, and they come back with stories of, I saw this from this person because I talked to this cosplayer and told me about this great deal at this table. I really want to get it. Can I borrow money? Sure, take the money I just made, like you know, uh, for the day. But care, whatever. Um, that's on, to me, that's cool because they went on a journey that they would never have gone if not have been in the situation where the internet. And for us, it's like the big, the big convention for us is Fan Expo, which is in, in the in the basement of this big convention hall. So the internet's absolutely poop. There's no there's no connection, which is great. Um, so you're forced to be, you know, disconnected and exposed to these things. So I see the difference uh, when my kids go to these kind of things and are not on their phone or on the laptop. So I think that's missing in the world today. Well, I think there's a bit of you need to wait for fate to decide it's time for you to discover something. If I read this a year ago, if I watched this a year ago or five years ago or however, it wouldn't have affected me the way it does seeing it today. I needed to wait until 
whatever reason in life, I was ready for it or it would speak to me on a certain level. But I, I get what you're saying of you need to give a reason to be interested in it, to be to discover it, to find, you know, to get a kid or an adult to grab it off the shelf. So I don't know if we did something like uh, sort of a tribute to EC Comics for a cover, some Echoes of the Shining, some creepy kids on there. I, I think I'd have to grab that right off of the comic book shelf. So you two for damn cursed children, like you must have known people are not going to like this. You must have known people are going to get creeped out by it. But for people like me and people like you, I think that's what's drawing me to it. Oh my God, this is awesome. I have to read this. I, I, I can't wait for it. So how did it, come about what was the inspiration and if you can say and if you can't it's all right but if you can say what walls did you hit along the way yeah it's go for it's it, funny it's funny because for sure like you look at a comic in which the monsters are all tiny adorable children who have gone insane and we're trying to get that out there for a number of years. This was something we've worked on for a long time. So even in doing it, it's understandably some publishers, some powers that be were very complimentary. Howard was saying how, how a lot of people really liked it. And it was that horrible double-edged sword of creativity where they were like, we really like this a lot. We can't publish this. And, you know, you don't want to make light of stuff happening in the real world, but when, especially a few years back when we were working on this bad stuff happened with kids in high schools and whatever. So you could see that being something that people are scared of, but at the same time, horror has always kind of pushed the boundaries and been offensive and been controversial. And that can be the starting point of a really good story. So I think our story is not a throwaway horror story and it's very interesting somebody recently said horror is either amazing or horrible there's no in between and i had never thought about that before and the more i think about it the more i'm like yeah horror is either a masterpiece or so bad it's good it's very interesting to me so we are doing something which on the surface is is people in survival mode like a traditional zombie story but our characters are a bit different. Our monsters are a bit different. And we put a lot of thought into making it um, the characters a bit more real world. And then a bunch of, you know, writer artsy stuff in there, too. But on the surface, it's a really fun book, something a little different. And we've been very happy to hear that people have are, are looking forward to it. And some folks are, are, uh, are yeah, it's, it's always nice because I joke that, you know, when my mom buys my comic book, I'm like, oh, you had to buy it. But when a stranger says nice things about it, you're like, oh, maybe we did something here. So, yeah. And now it's after years of working on it, it's coming out uh, this week. First issue is out on January 27th. Yeah. I mean, wow. It's 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 been a it feels like it's a long it's been a long journey, eh, Josh? It's it's just when, when people yeah, ask us never give up. It's sort of like <laughs> I, I sort of sighed. I'm like, oh, all those things I had because I kept on 
when we worked on this, I kind of knew in the back of my head that it won't be for every publisher out there. But I know somebody's going to get it because if we get it and we enjoy because we enjoyed working on it. It's like we had fun working on this. This is one of the most fun projects I ever worked on. Um, and that's not, it's not because of just Josh, but it's just the actual project itself, the content inside it. So approaching publishers was tough in a way because some of them are, are I consider as friends or if not, you know, colleagues in, in, the, in the industry and stuff. So. It's always that question, like, what are you working on? I'm like, well, here. And then you show them, and as you mentioned, like, well, this is really cool. We can't publish this. <laughs> so it's sort of that, yeah, that's not the best or worst answer from somebody, but I got that a lot. And I sigh, and I look back on this, and my time, I remember telling Josh and Robin, Rob, Robin's the artist on the book, or Robin Simon Ng from Singapore, and I would email these guys, and I'm like, okay, so I talked to X uh, editor or X publisher and in the real and uh, they love everything. They love the art. They love the, you know the way the story is constructed. But and then there and then and then there was it. They're not going to publish it. <laughs> so it's sort of that. How many of these emails I'm going to have to send? And then I sent a lot uh, to be honest. But um, it was weird because when you mentioned how about the cover and how it attracted you. Um, and it was, you know, it's going to scare people away from it. That's technically almost how I pitched it. And I did, I used that in quotations to source point and press. I was at a, uh, after convention, uh, party on day one, I think it was day one. Yeah, it was day one. And I was there to hang out with friends and have dinner and go home and do it again because it was day one. It's a four day convention. And somebody asked me to go talk to Travis from source point press. And I was like, don't know who that is or what that is, but sure, because you're, I know you, who you are and you're, you know, you have good, you know, you have good judgment of people. So let's do this. And I started talking to Travis and Travis introduced himself, his company, what they were doing, their titles, uh, the genres they're in. And we started talking about uh, their business side of things. And I don't think he expected me to ask those kind of things like, where do you print your comic book? You know, you know, what happens if it can't get printed and shipped? Do you have like a plan B? Do you have, you know, what's, you know, I was asking a lot of like kind of like side business questions because it tells me a bit about where they are now and how prepared they are for the future. So if you have a book of a publisher, it's like, we're going to publish it and make it the best comic book ever. How? We don't know, but we'll figure it out along the way. I'm like, yeah, maybe not for me <laughs> because I want somebody who knows what they're doing to partner up with them because this is a relationship. It's a relationship between the creatives and the publisher, right? So when he, the way we talked and he asked me the same kind of questions, really hardcore questions, we actually knew that we actually liked each other. So it's like, okay, like we're not talking about, you know, we're just geeking out about dumb shit. We're actually on the ball in certain, certain things. So then the question came, it's like, so what are you working on? What do you, you have anything to pitch us? And I was I, and I joked, I'm like, I'm here just to have fun. So no, <laughs> I have nothing to pitch you, but I have some stuff that people were too scared to uh, publish. You want to hear those? It's like, sure. I'm like, okay. And I didn't pitch it. And I mentioned I put in pitch and uh, pitching in quotations. I explained to him why people didn't want damn cursed children. Every reason why. Uh, that just mentioned down to parental groups and maybe possibly church groups and who knows what's out there that will be offended and, and, and angry that we haven't have this kind of cover down that necessarily you know, before they even look at the story and when they see the story they're going to be outraged and all that 
And I'm like, this is going to come obviously at Josh, myself, and Robin, but it will also come obviously to the publisher. So that's why I can understand why they didn't want this kind of thing. I get it. I understand that. If you're an ex-publisher, you don't deviate from your parameters because your market is this certain kind of market that you're, you're, that you're, you're making books for. I get that. I would do the same thing. So after hearing all of that, I was waiting for him to say, this is great art because he was looking on my phone, looking at the art. This is great. This is really cool. I love it. This is awesome. And he looked at me and I'm like waiting for the, but we can't publish this <laughs> and get back to my dinner. But he didn't. He literally said, he, he said, F it, we'll do it. And I <laughs> sort of like, and me, the, the Canadian me came out so fast. That I was like, yes, but wait a minute. Are you sure you understood what I just said? Because I just gave you a whole library of reasons of why you shouldn't publish this. <laughs> like you're you're not going up the hill. You're going up the hill, an uh, ice hill with ogres coming down at you with clubs. I mean, this is going to be really hard to market uh, out in you know in in the big spectrum of the comic book market. Uh, but you know, I met him the next day at the con floor and. He reiterated that he really wanted to do it. He understood what we were doing. He understood the metaphors and the mo- you know the motifs and the themes that we were putting under you know because horror technically underlining the underlying story of any uh, of any horror is basically uh, a social commentary of something or some things or what have you. So he got that. So I knew that because he understood that we were a really good hands story wise. Uh, and marketing-wise, and also because I've talked about the business side of, uh, of Source Point Press, I knew that he knew what he was doing and how he would, uh, you know, it sounds like an awful word to say that as a grown-up pivot, and it's, it, is, it is an overused word, but I know that he would, could pivot if things were going south marketing-wise. This is obviously way pre-COVID. So when COVID hit, I literally emailed him like, so are we still going to be solicited? Because I totally <laughs> understand why if you say no, I get it because the world has turned and became a really scary B movie, but it's in our face now. So he literally came back to me the same day. It's like, no, no, you're, you're, you're on schedule. All our books are on schedule. We're going to make this work because we have uh, some reserves and we're going to build those reserves as from this point until we start to start publishing books. And here we are with our first issue at five issues coming out in the middle of all this in January 27th in the stores. So it's been a journey where we had so many hurdles from the story content, the art, uh, dealing with monster kids, getting nasty stuff done to them. Um, then, then to COVID hitting, you know, it's like hurdle after hurdle that we're like facing. And if it wasn't for that kind of publisher that's willing to take that kind of risk and understands the story that we have, we wouldn't be here talking to you about it, to be honest. Um, did we know that uh, that this was going to happen and we're still going to get a book out? No. What we did know is that we had this horrifically scary book, um, which when you explain, the, when you do the elevator pitch, people get it immediately, which is great. Then you start asking the deeper questions and then you explain them and they love it, uh, which is great too. So we, we personally love this book. Um, I mean, we, our cast of characters who are not the uh, monster children, we purposely ch- created them based on try to be, uh, I start to sound weird, but based them on real people. Some of them we may or may not know personally, but they're on real people so that 
we avoid a lot of the tropes that you do in these kind of films where you have like the perfect scientist slash doctor that can solve this thing to, you know, a super soldier or cop or, you know, a super cop that can, you know, direct people and t- teach them how to defend themselves and so forth and so forth, or, like a, like a, uh, or engineer and a mechanic and what have you. So we, 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 de- we deviated from those tropes, but did we completely ignore everything that we love from horror? No. We put them in in a way that came natural. So when we wrote this, we wrote this with the passion of, okay, this is a scene between these characters. They're going to be doing this in the situation. What would happen for, you know, if this was happening for real, what would be the next thing that would happen? And we would write it out that way. So when you see homages and tropes in our story in the in from issues one to five, it wasn't like we had a checklist of, we're going to stick all these scenes from all these films and comic books into this story here, 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 and here. It just sort of like, does this make sense for it to be here, this kind of scene? And we would debate about it sometimes. I mean, in issue one, we have the very opening scene uh, with a daycare worker who finds herself surrounded by children who turn, for whatever reason, to little monsters who want to eat her. So our first reaction was, what does she do? Obviously, it was a question. And I wanted to say, make these real. Or reaction to something that's so out of the blue and crazy. As a human being, you freak out. You're not going to go, I'm going to plan to climb up this window and run my ass to the police. No, you're going to freak out because these kids are trying to eat you. <laughs> so there was a scene where she clucks, clunks uh, her coffee mug on one of the kids' uh, heads. And when we wrote it, and Josh wrote that scene. I remember Josh wrote that scene. It sounded great. That's beautiful. Awesome. The art came in. I hit the brakes so fast because I was like, maybe we've gone too far. It feels like because now I see this in my face and it looks great. Have we gone too far? Because I don't think oh, I don't know. And we talked about it. And we talked. And we started. We, and the funny thing, we started talking about the movies that we liked about horror and the you know those kind of scenes. And in, when you think about the scenes in any horror films. Um, they are over top. And I was like, yeah. And this is just the first, you know, opening scene of that kind of scene. I was like, yeah, you're right. Because later on in the script, it just goes from there to 100 real quick. So, yeah, I think you're right. Let's let, you know what? Let's I'll let it go and let's see where it goes when we start getting to page 10 and then, uh, and then to issue two. And then by the time we get to issue three, I was looking back to that scene that made me stop and I was like, my God, what have we done here? This is like the craziest thing I ever wrote. Uh, my kids can't read this, right? <laughs> and because of that, I'm like, I know we have something great here because it wasn't like we're forcing it. Cause I was like, I literally was, I, I, when I edited the scripts and stuff, I was looking for any scene that we forced. Cause I hate that in any story, in any movie, in anything I watch, if you're forced a scene, it stands like a sore thumb and then you basically get disconnected from it. your your immersion in it is done. You're out. And I hated that kind of thing, that feeling. So I was looking for that and I was like, there's none, no scene where it, it feels like it was forced. This is nuts. And we had it. We, uh, we had, we had this great thing. Uh, one of the best things we did though, uh, wasn't just the shock value and horror value of, of the story that freaks people out was when Josh, when I was telling Josh, like, no, you know, fast forwarding and in, in in, when we do this and we have to do the preview pages for the world, it's we have to tell we have to give a tone and a feel for what we're doing with this within the first five pages. 
So we can't do this like, you know, if we do like the, you know, the slow boil uh, opener, it's not going to really connect with anybody <laughs> with the first five pages. And Josh is like, well, in film, we do it in three. I'm like, well, if, you can, if we can script it in three, that's great in a comic book. So Josh uh, is like, well, let me try. <laughs> and he did it. And I looked at it. I was like, holy crap, he did it in three. And I was looking at it. I'm like, is there any, and I, I kept on looking. I'm like, is there anything wrong with these three pages where he set the tone for this? And I was like, no, man, this is nuts. You did it in three. And then I made some notes here and there, some changes. It was, I think, it was more like art changes than, than anything for the pacing and stuff. Uh, but it was just incredible that just by talking and working, we turned what we loved and the scary part of things to make it functional. That sounds weird. Make the scary part functional for the story. Which I think it was what you know what we love about it and what made it work and why we love it so much. And yes, we know it's going to scare people. We knew the covers were going to. Uh, terrify some people away from the book but attract people who get it like yourself people who get it love the covers people who don't ask us what are we doing <laughs> all the time well you the more and more you're talking about the process it's like you created a living thing here in a way um how you're saying your script was one thing and then you got in the art and oh have we gone too far what's going on here getting to issue three and looking back and seeing i can't believe that we've i thought this was too far when we started now i'm here and i've gone even further uh, on my line here and plus i mean like you're referring to the children as monsters um in other interviews and podcasts you guys have done it's the zombies vampires whatever does it really matter for like either way you have these horrible evil children attacking everyone call them what you want i'm sure most people like you're saying we need to say okay how would someone react in real life well in real life we're gonna call them something that we can't put on a cover and i can't say on this podcast that's probably what we're gonna call them (laughs) and yeah and then you're also saying uh we're being a social commentary when you join the club of a being a parent and then you turn to other ones and say hey does your kid ever just drive you insane and you want to say things that you can't yeah yeah me too and you feel like this bond of it's okay so you putting children here as little monsters guess what a lot of times they <laughs> are when my kid wants to rough house if my wife is at home i have to tell him no because i'm worried he's gonna hit me just right and I won't be able to get up. I want another adult in the house for it. Like <laughs> kids can be monsters. They can be evil. And it, 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 this is a safe space. Was this inspired? <laughs> Did you say, you know, my kids are, are damned cursed children here. What can I do with this idea? <laughs> well, it's one of my favorite little stories of, of parenthood from my my friend's point of view because i'm not a parent but this was years ago this kid is now now a kid but at the time she was she was like two or three years old and yeah it's it's parents off the record or if you're friends with parents you get these stories and but kids are always creepy kids are always Mm -hmm. creepy because uh imaginary friends help a lot because it means every kid has uh, a ghost they're talking to but when uh, my friend had his little kid, we were hanging out and 
she was going to bed and he had one of these this was years back you know god maybe eight years ago had a fancy new little piece of technology so had a, a little like baby cam in her room so he could make sure she was there or if she was getting up or whatever and we were hanging out in his kitchen and she was upstairs on the second floor and he had been telling me how she had a little teddy bear and was imaginary friending it and it was the creepiest thing because you're just always walking around whispering to this bear so cut to us looking at her on this little camera and she's sitting in bed whispering to the bear something about like i'm gonna go get daddy and i'm sure in her mind it was like i'm gonna go give daddy a hug but it sounded like something out of a child's play movie so yeah it's not a far stretch and we are not the first people to do it but that's horror i mean that's all of storytelling like it's always that that cliche that there's no original stories anymore but hopefully with damn cursed children we're putting a few thumbprints of originality and a new twist on a new monster and some new heroes that are going through this terror but yeah i mean my mom her big phobia is little scary kids because when she was a kid in the 60s when she was too young to go see these kind of movies, she got to go see a movie with her older sisters and it was um, like Village of the Damned. So she has <laughs> so she has which you look at it now and it is a is a black and white, pretty tame, no gore. But she has a thing about eyes because the kids in that, if I'm remembering correctly, if I'm getting the movie correctly, have like the little like the white eyes. So even something like watching a movie like X-Men for her freaks her out because Storm doesn't have pupils. But yeah, so kids, there's a long history of kids in horror films and books and comics of being creepy. So with our story, uh, much inspiration from all these, I was like, yeah, let's not pull punches. Let's make these kids scary. And uh, and that's what we did. Yeah, I mean, as from a parental standpoint, I mean, my own experience with the creepiness wasn't like they're going to attack me, but it was always like... Um, <laughs> I, it's, I still remember it now, Christ. My my eldest, uh, I think she was like one and a half. So she she knew a couple of words here and there, like most kids. And I remember one time I was taking her, picking up from, from her room, and she was say, waving goodbye to nothing. <laughs> so, oh, my God, creepy. So I'm like, uh, why'd you do that? <laughs> because cause in the back of my mind, I have to put you back in this room after I get you to sleep, and now I'm too scared to do that, possibly. So it's like these these moments of your parents like, oh my gosh, she's just scared the hell of me, but I know she's just saying that for, maybe she's saying goodbye to the room, hopefully, good lord. So you have moments like that, and then, yes, the, the tantrums and stuff, that happens all the time. And then parents can go on and on about stories, about tantrums in the most, you know, best places, you know, public, um, or, you know, at weddings and what have you, and so forth and so forth. Um, but the funniest thing was the title itself was inspired because of kids, because um, I was, <laughs> I was uh, very sick because my kids were in daycare at this time. I brought back the flu and I was in bed dying. And then Josh gave me a call and asked me if I was still going to Fan Expo. <clears throat> I think it was in, the, in a month or two at that time. And they could tag along and be, you know, be, you know, be a part of my table. I'm like, yeah, but I'm dying. <laughs> if I'm alive, then sure. And Josh asked me, are you still sick? Are you sick? It's like, are you sick, sick? Or is it you know, still sick from the last time? Like, I think it's still sick from the last time. But I got a lot worse. And then he just uttered, damn cursed children 
<laughs> and I was like, ooh, ooh, that's a good title for a horror book. <laughs> and Josh is like, yeah, you should write it. I'm like, no, I'm in no condition to do anything but lie here and not die. So <laughs> best is V can start writing it, and then I'll add on to it, and we can both write it. And that's where it started from, to be honest. So I was literally dying from the plague because of my kids and inspired to write a cover comic book because of that. So that's where it started from. And there's a lot of horror scenes, sorry, a lot of action scenes, I should say, that's in the book that um, may or may not have been inspired by my own experiences and family and friends' experiences who have or may or may not have children. Um <laughs> There are a lot here and there. Um, and I think it's interesting is when I explain some of the scenes to Josh, I'm like, you know, as a parent, the malls are a very special place. <laughs> uh, things happen there. You go there to do X, Y, and Z, which never, ever happens. But you go there with that goal of doing that. But then things go awry and things happen and you come home. Maybe, maybe if you're lucky, 1% of what you wanted to do <laughs> and so forth. Um, and then, you know, and things like that. I mean, there's the opening, the opening scene with the, uh, with the, see, I don't want to ruin it. There's the opening scene on, uh, within the first three pages with a, an adult and a child in the car. That's sort of the, uh, that's the, those moments when you give your kid, because you're a seven-year-old, this is great. When you go for like, like oh, whatever, we do this. We go for McDonald's to so like, can I have a milkshake? You're like, sure, here. You have it, eat it, drink it, suck it, whatever. I'll, I'm gonna get our, get everybody's home and then you know, have have a decent lunch and then that'll be, that'll be it. That'll be a meal. Then the milkshake, you know, never really lands into their stomach because everywhere but in their mm-hmm. stomach and yeah. So that that moment was when those scenes was there. I'm like, oh, that's gonna be in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because you know, people always like, you know, it must be great having kids. Like, it is. Just no, it's just not in the car. <laughs> just not in the car. Um, well, yeah. And sorry, between the yeah. the writing and the art, though, you're taking this crazy idea, but you're giving a real a real world quality to it. Here's what life is. Here's what kids are, and then here's just pop culture is in our lives, and we're gonna know it. Between the stuff that both of you have talked about, and then I was on Robin's Instagram page earlier, and I'm seeing. There's close-ups of the art. I'm seeing details that I missed that. I completely missed that on the cover. I don't know if it was because this is the black and white version or the pencils or whatever. But I'm, like, pinching and zooming to go and see this stuff. I was like, this is perfect. This should absolutely be there. Whether it's just a detail in the art that makes it seem more real or whether it's a little Easter egg or a little, like, pop culture wink or whatever. I'm like, there's so much in here. How is this... How are yeah. people not going to fall in love with this comic and want to go over it multiple times? And then, oh, Robin's I get the later issues. Is... Let me go through again. Yeah, Robin's yeah. art is so beautiful. And my favorite thing about it is we got to be in black and white. And there was a very good chance. You never know that a publisher, especially nowadays, you know, we all got Walking Dead to point at to be a successful black and white book. But that's the minority. Most of them are in color. Same in film. Like, there's a sense that you can't be black and white because people want things to be in color. So very luckily the powers that be were cool with that. And my favorite thing about it is if you look at certain pages that might not have a flat screen TV or a cell phone on it, it could be art from like a 1970s Marvel black and white 
horror comic. Yeah. And I think that's so cool that there's a little bit of a timeless nature to it. But yeah, and you know, and unlike Howard and I, Robin is strangely the biggest non-nerd who is a comic <laughs> book artist because we gave him a lot of references and he's really great to work with, but he's never read any of this stuff or watched any of this stuff. So, which is good because it really brings this fresh eye. He's not ripping anybody off. <laughs> he's just going by our suggestions and reference material. So, and yeah, and you're right. Like some of the detail on it is in other books. It might've just been like a, a blank, nothing behind a talking head, but Robin would always fill it up with some great looking stuff. Yeah. I mean, Robin, like, just kudos to him like our script we gave him like a lot of free reign of a lot of things like from camera angles and stuff but sometimes we have specifics but there's a lot of those most of the scenes were like you know we trust you the camera angles and we, we know what you're you know what you're doing um and then we have this has to be this this has to be here this has to be here there might be some references to geek stuff uh there's one like from josh was the, the P, uh, pvp one <laughs> which was great because yeah. even even i was like what is this what, what do you want me to draw this <laughs> and then seeing that you like trying him trying to explain it and stuff was hilarious but robin would add his own touches which was amazing um like if you like, if you get a chance if you, if you pick up the book please do you get a chance to look at the digital preview pages I have up. If you start zooming in, you'll see stuff that he added that because he does that, I like editing was was great because I would be like looking at it and I'm like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And then I'm like, wait a minute, something's in feel it. And I noticed I saw something that wasn't was supposed to be in the script and you zoom in it, oh my God, he stuck a kid in the oh, okay. That was not in the script. So he made it more horrifying <laughs> than when we wrote it because of certain things. I mean there's there's a car scene, people driving away, and I'm like, okay, this is what's going to happen, da, da, da. Then he added another child in a certain place, and I was like, oh, my God, what the heck? Now, Just the covers to issues <laughs> two and three have so much detail on them and so much story on them. Yeah, uh, yeah just really, really great. Uh, you, you get a sense of the character and a sense of the world just by looking at that, So, it, which is a good cover to have, good draw people in. Yeah, I mean you know take time to look at it uh it's gonna sound weird because most people um who who uh, read comic books flip through the art first and then read it and want you to go through it a second time but with the, the amount of detail he's stuck in each panel it's sort of like you go back to it like we've we've been going back to some of the you know the pages and i'm like did you see this before in issue three and you guys like no Holy crap! What the hell? I'm like, yeah. What? When did that happen? <laughs> but it's like, obviously it's been done before. It was, like, it was already in the printers and stuff. So it's like, what the heck? Um, so it's it's one of those wonderful things where you work with somebody who is connected to the geek world a whole different way um, and brings so much difference uh, to the to the property because of that. Um, now, if if I'm going to sound weird, Robin was a big horror you know, fan. He probably would draw and angle some of the shots completely different because, you know, you've seen it before. So you want to try to mimic it because you're attached to it. And I get that. Uh, but then it would take away from the novelty of Dampier's children because you see the cover, you sort of get what you're getting into. Then you start flipping page one. You get to, when you get to page three, you're like, okay, it's completely this and then some. What? And Robin... You know, he he did really great stuff in this book. I mean, 
the covers that you guys see for the issues one to five, when you see four and five as well, are some of the covers he did for this. Because when we were working on covers, um, before Josh and I decided to, do, to try to do homage covers between uh, comic books and film uh, film posters, he started dishing stuff out. Like he was just like a machine turning them out. And for a guy who's not a horror fan, sort of like these are really like over the top crazy. I love it. Oh, by the way, here are some references to stuff me and Josh want you to do and try it out. <laughs> and and he did more. Um, I mean, no joke. We had a meeting with Source Point Press to vote on the five covers because all of them, like we wanted them all, but we can't do them all because we only have five issues for the story arc. So there are actually some covers that hopefully one day we'll see the light of day because they're just absolutely amazing stuff. So, you know, the art is just, I, I couldn't ask for anything more. And I'm so glad that I got to work with him uh, on this because he was supposed to be, um, when, I, when I started comic books, I did After the Cape with Image Comics back in the day. And he was supposed to be the artist for or After the Cape 2. Um, but because he started having kids, uh, he dropped out. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, surprise, Robin is a parent of two children as well, very, very young children. So for him to draw this, I always joked, I'm like, are your references your boys? Like, yep. <laughs> so I'm like, that's a horrible thing to think about because of the things that you drew. Yeah, I don't know how you even did that with your kids or how you posed them, but I love it. <laughs> it's great. So. Well, you you were bringing, you mentioned that with Robin not being a horror fan is coming at it from different angles here. And I think the two of you, because it's not just horror. Now, you, you dropped after the cape because I was going to try to sound all cool because I couldn't find it. My long boxes are not organized, but I know it's in there. I remember wow. buying that off the rack and I didn't make the connection until we got setting this up. But that was fantastic and I loved it. And it was one of the ones I'm like, you got to read this. You got to read this. And people like, oh, because image for a little while. Yep. <laughs> image for a little while had uh, seemed like a dirty word because people remember when it <laughs> expanded when, well, remember when it expanded, yeah. uh, when it expanded too quickly. And there were certain things yeah. out there that weren't of the best quality. And uh, cause I was one of the kids that had all image on my poll list. And then at one point I said, I don't want half of these. And it's nothing against any creator. It's just it wasn't for me. And then, it, it, yeah, it was I'm, a different time back then. It, it was. Yeah. I mean, they weren't. They, they were. They, they they solicited a lot. A lot of them weren't on time. Um, it was one of those. Like they were, they were in growing pains for a while. Like practically all the '90s was a growing pains for them, kind of thing. But it was. They were going through a lot of growing pains back then. And I, I agree. I was in that same boat where I would order a bunch of books. I'm like, I don't want these because it's like two months late. Or oh, look at this. Why is it like this? And it, you know, they they were competing with you know the big two, and you know at that time you know Vertigo and Dark Horse and stuff, and they were trying to vie for the market. And I get that. Um, but yeah, my book when I pitched it, it was not definitely not. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it would be in the image parameters back then in the day. I, I definitely went against the grain, I guess. Maybe <laughs> we'd say. Well, but that was one of the things because I'm showing it to people like this is fantastic. This is great. I remember getting it right off the rack. Oh, I've never heard of the character before. I'm like, that's the whole point because you can do things with this new character that you can't do with, you know, your big two ones. That's the whole point here. 
because it becomes a good story because we're not bound by corporations. And I say that jokingly because I still want to get my kid into the big hero. So I'm like, hmm, I wonder... Let me let me flip through here. There must be some cartoon featuring characters that he's familiar with, like oh I don't know, say Flash, that is a good way that I could introduce him to characters. And then I start doing research. I was like, oh my god, Josh wrote that. We've watched that a ton. Oh, that's insane. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's that's uh, <laughs> you know I I've it's been a very good year despite it being this horrible year. And it, a number of creative aspects for myself. One is Howard and I finally getting Damn Cursed Children to come to be. I got a story in a really great anthology called Flip that is out right now, Flip Volume 2. And then I stumbled into getting to write an episode of DC Superhero Girls, which is this really great show. And it's just like anything else in in, in writing and creativity. is It's, it's a, a little bit of skill and a lot of luck and nepotism and just kind of not being scared to straight up be like, hey, I can help on that. And so basically, Ottawa is a really big animation town and lots of neat stuff is produced here, ranging from um, uh, Hilda that's on Netflix right now, Final Space, all kinds of Disney stuff. So my friends were working on DC Superhero Girls and at the Mayfair Theater, which I'm a co-owner of, their studio rented out the place to do a, a staff screening, kind of like a rap party. And I was chatting with them and they were talking about doing DC stuff. And I just jokingly said, um, if you need any reference material, I've got a lot. And if you need any tips, I have read a lot of DC comics in my time. So then it ended up that they did need a few suggestions and I threw a bunch at them. And like anything in this, it's like, they suggested an insane amount of stories to Warner Brothers to get however many episodes there were. It was like 33-minute episodes or whatever it was. And then I gave them a bunch of ideas, and one of mine made it through. And then I was like, oh, do I actually get like writing credit on this? Because sometimes you don't in this kind of thing, especially in animation. And they were like, oh, yeah. And so then now I live in a world where I got a story credit on a Flash cartoon, and... And really, that's it for me. I can wrap it up. I can retire. Like, I, if you could go back to like four-year-old me and say you got to write a Flash cartoon, uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty fun. And then it's so great, Kevin, that you got to watch it because every once in a while somebody says they watched it, and it's just neat that it's out there. And especially that it's out there on YouTube. You can just watch these for for free, uh, legitimately without stealing them. They're just that's their distribution model is that they're on YouTube. So that's really easy way to watch all these great cartoons. Well, I mean, I remember growing up when being a geek and into comics and stuff was a four-letter word. Oh, and for sure. I didn't want my kid to experience that either, but I also wanted him to be more open to everything, too. And thankfully, we're in kind of a golden age for that. So, yes, it's DC Superhero Girls. I don't care. It's for everyone, buddy. And he sees that. So, thankfully, because it's cartoons like that, Adventure Time, Steven Universe, the Netflix She-Ra is amazing he's going to grow up more worldly than I did for a lot of this stuff. And Hey, I can watch a girl show. I can watch this. I can, you know, quote girl show. I can watch anything. It doesn't matter. It's cool. And that's all that matters for it. So yeah, yeah I absolutely loved your. I think, uh, <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. I get choked up every time I see a, 
uh, a female Doctor Who or Captain Marvel or a female Jedi, because you look back and like when we were kids, you know, we didn't think about it because we were kids. But everyone, I mean, like when I was a kid, it was a a white James Bond. It yep. was it was uh, uh, Indiana Jones. It was Luke and Han. It was Batman, Superman. Uh, I have in my kitchen, I have a, a cool retro tin sign drawn by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez of the Justice League. And oh, it, it's 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 the Justice League when they were like 80 members. And it's like when you're a kid, you don't think about it. And then when you grow older, you realize that oh, it's a lot of white people because on this sign, which is beautiful, but it's Batman, Hawkman, Superman, Elongated Man, Black Canary, Green Lantern. It's like 20 characters. And the only cultural diversity on the team is Martian Manhunter. That's mm-hmm. it. That's the only non-white guy. Whereas you cut to today and look at um, the Avengers or the Justice League or the Titans, and it's much more diverse. It's all kinds of different creators and characters. And so, yeah, so I, I always think about that, too. Just it's so nice when kids can watch She-Ra and it's awesome. And uh, little boys can watch it just like little girls can. And so, yeah, we are despite the horrors of the world and the horrors of some evil nerds out there, we, we are in this great golden age of, of, of nerddom. Well, was it, I think it was Dwayne McDuffie that went in and said, you got more green people on your team than black. Yeah. Like what's yeah. going on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God. yeah right. it was. So I will let you two guys go soon, but I just want to know for anyone for myself, mostly, but for anyone that may have become a fan, thanks to this episode, one, I got to assume issue four and five are ready and I'll see it in preview soon for solicitation and I can put it down on my pull list. And then what's next? If you can yes. say, I know sometimes you yes. can't talk about it. Well, yes, absolutely. Um, all five issues were completely done uh, before the first issue was uh, sent to previews. Like everything is done. So me, uh, Josh, myself, we're just chilling out, uh, talking to people and hanging out and, sort of living the, the convention life through podcasts and stuff like that and geeking out this way. Um, but no, it's all done. So everything barring shipping will be is, is, is all green. It's all go. It's all done. Um, issue one actually just arrived at SourcePoint Press yesterday, I think, or the day before. Um, so we know it's done. It's printed. It's going to be on time, which is great uh yeah definitely uh do order uh, if you know do order all five issues please do that'd be great uh be it in print or in digital formats and i know there's some people who've messaged me which is great uh that tell me that they're not close to any kind of bookshop that's okay if you or don't have any local shops near you source point press's website you can order hard copies of the uh, of the comic uh, the comic mini series as well as digital as well um and yeah, for what we're for what I'm doing, I have something that I'm turning the. I guess we're working on it right now for SourcePoint Press for later on this year or possibly early next year. I can't talk much about it because it's still being worked on. I'm I'm still working on it, so <laughs> until I'm done working on it, uh, I can't say it's going to be because I will. I honestly, for me, I don't submit something like it was greenlit and stuff like that, but. I won't solicit until it's done, like it completely, utterly done, because 
I grew up in the time, like I mentioned, where comics did not come on time, and it was kind of like, ugh, why? Um, you know, and it's 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 tough, and I get it. So I want I don't want that to you know I don't want someone to have that same experience. It's not the best experience uh, for English comic books. Um, and as well, what we're doing after uh, Damn Chris Children between Josh and I, well, if enough people love it, and I hope they do, we do have more in the can uh, to 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 pull out and to explore. Um, a lot more uh, because Josh's mind is insane and I'm an idiot because I keep writing more than we should because, you know, sometimes you cut things in your original script and then you push things up and it's like, oh, but this is all good. We're going to keep this for later. <laughs> so well, this, like this, is, uh, this is Howard's fault for putting this in my head, but he recently said that uh, he's Bert and I'm Ernie and <laughs> I can't get over that because, <laughs> because Howard's like fretting about sales and worried about timelines and interviews and whatever and i'm just like oh we sold seven copies i'm writing the sequel like so <laughs> if the powers that be give us a green light to go ahead or if not i'm just going to start working on it anyhow we do have uh we have ideas for what comes next uh damn chris children does have a beginning middle and an end in these five issues uh i look back on it and i can't believe we were cocky enough to write five issues but uh so you will get a full story out of this. And yes. I love that it's coming out as five monthly issues. I think publishers nowadays, we've talked about image so much. I think publishers have been so screwed up by writers and artists not meeting deadlines. I think it's very smart of them to be like, no, once you guys have all five issues done, then we will solicit it. So this isn't going to be one of those things where you get issue one through three and then four comes out a year and a half from now. You're going to get that five issues five months experience from us and uh with a really cool story and like Howard said yeah you can order the books and uh I've gotten so many non-nerds to order this book my family members and stuff bless their hearts of and I just keep telling them that comic shops are run by really awesome people and if you just phone them or email them and say I want a book called Damn Cursed Children from Source Point Press and it's in previews catalog They'll help you out. That's all you got to do. Even if you just said, I'm looking for a comic called Damn Cruise Children, they'd, they'd figure it out. So, yeah, buying comics is weird, but uh, but but SourcePoint will help you out. We'll, we'll get them into your hands. For sure. For I, sure. I will say you're all right. Most stores are like that. When I went to mine um, and mentioned it, they immediately brought it up and said, oh, that looks really cool. I should probably order a couple. And that's Yay. the best part. Every <laughs> time every, every oh, time yeah. a nerd orders one copy, there's a chance that the manager at the store orders two more and that's just a domino effect so it's great yeah we love we love hearing stories like that because we know that it's not for everybody but if people get it and they, they see it because it's not a normal thing you have in previews let's be honest it, you don't you don't expect to have this kind of book in previews uh and so every time we get we hear that we love it and we, we have i had a few shops call me up well call me up uh, messaged me and it's like this is you you did this I'm like yeah this is horrifying, crazy. I'm like, yeah, is it like, like that in, inside? Like, it's worse. We're ordering it. I'm like, great. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Um, what a sales pitch. It's horrible. Buy it. Uh, but <laughs> that's what they're doing, which is great. But yeah, it was, you know, to just reiterate, just um, it's it, for, especially for indie press and indie creators, like where you are, pre ordering is the backbone for this whole industry uh, between the fans. The publisher and the creators uh, pre-order your books from the comic book shops, 
if you want your comic book shop to exist, that is the way to do it. Uh, and do pick up your orders too. That's probably more important. Yeah. This is just as important. Because um, I've talked to a lot of shop owners who have become friends over the years. I've been in the business for a little while. So I know that's important. So I never like go, okay, keep these for me for like six months. I'll come over during that. No, I try to get there within a reasonable time, especially now that things different. I try to get there in a reasonable time to pick up my stuff. Um, to fast forward to the fans and stuff that have messaged me that I haven't responded to yet, because yeah, it was great questions about things and uh and whatnot of the book and the, the one that i'm going to address here which is interesting enough is um no this is not for kids <laughs> definitely not for kids <laughs> uh it's definitely for adults would i say it's rated r not really but also maybe aa ish or if not between aa and r i don't know how to explain it i don't know but i totally like want stories of 10 year olds reading this book i totally want stories <laughs> of kids well, sneaking this book if kids accidentally read it without you know supervision i can't stop that i'm not everywhere so anyways but that's one question i want to address here for, for, for you know which is nice the second one which is my favorite and last one is um yeah if you help or if you get more copies and give them you know give them to friends even it helps us uh do more if you like this kind of story, not just necessarily you want more damn cursed children, it's it's just literally this genre. If you want this genre to be more affluent in any publisher, you show it by getting it. Um, and it's weird to say that. It's like, why is superheroes so like everywhere? Why is it like every shelf is full of super? Because that's what people are buying. It's telling it, when you do that and order those kind of books, it's telling the shop owners. This is what's hot. This is what I'm ordering. This is what I'm. There's no you know. This is what I'm doing. So by ordering not just our horror book, but this genre of of, of comic books, it tells the world that they want more, and therefore more creators will be more, you know, courageous to develop their stories and to pitch it and have it out there. So it's not just for us in that sense. That's why I meant there's a relationship between the fans and the shops and, and independent publishers and creators. It's, it's, it's a cyclical thing. We need to help each other out this way. Uh, and to answer your other question about where we can find us, for me, you can go to my blog, which also has preview pages for issues one, two, and three, uh, at howard-wong.blogspot.com. Instagram would be uh, at the real Howard Wong, Twitter, Howard Wong and the number one. And for everything else uh, that I missed possibly would be found on my blog. I have all my social media accounts uh, tagged there. And for Josh. Howard's so much better on social media than I am. Just just find Howard. You'll find me. But uh, <laughs> no, I'm on uh, Instagram. Bat turtle underscore Mayfair because I didn't get there fast enough just to get the bat turtle tag. And I'm not really on Twitter, but I do the Mayfair social media. That's really my main social media thing. Uh, so that's at Mayfair Theater. So you can find me hiding on there. And uh, I do a weekly Mayfair Theater podcast and we talk about everything. This last year and a bit has been really interesting because it's just been behind the scenes of an independent business during these crazy times. Even if you're just a movie fan or a genre fan, uh, give it a listen because we talk about everything. And uh, I'm on Facebook as well under Bat Turtle. But yeah, I'm I'm not superb on social media. I'm busy elsewhere. But uh, you'll find all the damn cursed children information uh, on Howard's blog for sure. 
I, I will back that up for both of them. Um, Howard was actually easier to find online than Josh was. <laughs> and then uh, I'm undercover. Yeah. Then what? <laughs> well, then once you find Howard stuff, Josh is tagged in a bunch of it too. So I will. I will agree with what you said there. All right. I want to thank both you guys. This was ridiculously informative. I learned a lot. I mean, I'm even more excited for the comics than I was, but I just feel like I learned a lot for putting together comics and all. I mean, I've been reading for 30 years plus, you know, 35 years maybe, and I'm learning constantly. And I want to thank you both for it. This was great. Thanks, Kevin. Well, thank you for having us. It's been a fun time. This is like one of the, Best Friday nights I had. I'm making sure my friend is aware of that in their shot. But look yes. around first. Yeah. Oh well, you know, I like being alive. Um, <laughs> but no, this is a lot of fun, and I hope uh, any of the fans uh, of yours take a chance and take a check check out our book. You know, a um, lot of love. Decade took a decade to make and get out there. So you know, it, definitely not an overnight thing. It's a lot of passion in there and a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Lots and lots of tears <laughs> went into taking it. So give it a chance. And uh, for listeners, if you enjoyed this, I will most likely be reviewing it depending how fast I can get to the store either on Wednesday or on Thursday. Um, and if it's not on Retro Network, it'll be on my own blog, and that's masslibrary.com. So thank you guys again. This was fantastic. Thank you, Kevin. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.